Welcome to a ride on the outside. MMA is full of people on the inside, but what about the ones that watch from beyond? Welcome to the MMA Outsiders with Tom Albano and Zan Bando on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Ah, yes, it's MMA Outsiders episode number 26. I'm Tom Albano, that's Zan Bando, and Zan, we got a lot of recap this week. It's kind of appropriate we're recording this episode, Zan, on Valentine's Day, because this episode is going to follow the KISS method. Keep it simple, stupid, because there's one main thing that 80 to 90% of the show will talk about. And really that all the MMA community is really talking about. And that is UFC 284. So another UFC pay-per-view event in the books. We got Islam Makachev retaining the lightweight championship. Zan Islam and Volkanovsky. Incredible main event. Yair Rodriguez pulling out an awesome interim featherweight title win of the co-main event. Uh, overall thought the prelims were eh. And the main card definitely delivered in more than one way before we begin make sure you hit that like button make sure to subscribe hit that notification bell so you get notified of everything here at the empty dimension network not just the mma outsiders which is every week wednesdays at 9 a.m but also my other show empty the bench uh broody cereal game on and so much more that's sam bando my co-host you can find his work over at bjpen.com you can follow him on Twitter at Zambando99. And I'm Tom Albano. You can find my work over at Bandside at MMA. You can follow me at Thomas J. Albano and Tom Talk Sports 9. Zan, let's just jump right into it. We will begin with the main event. Islam Makashev versus Alexander Volkanovsky. I think, Zan, we've got a fight of the year contender already, even if it's only, we're only halfway through February. Islam Makashev, Alexander Volkanovsky, very even matchup with Islam Makashev pulling out a close unanimous decision win. 248-47 scorecards, 149-46. Islam Makashev retains the lightweight championship. Alex Volkanovsky was looking to become one of a select few champ champs. He would have only been the second to hold featherweight and lightweight simultaneously after Conor McGregor. Alas, he falls just short. So, Zan, what did you think of the main event? I thought it was incredible. And did you have Islam Makashev winning the fight, like the judges did? Well, yeah, Tom, first off, it's good to be back. Episode 26, we knew that this was going to be a heavy recap of show. And, of course, as it should be, we should be giving this main event the attention that it deserves. And I think you hit the nail on the head. This main event was absolutely incredible. Uh, lived up to the hype in, in more ways than one, as you alluded to uh, earlier. But I will say that, you know, this fight was, you know, a chess match in a lot of ways. This fight really tested to see, you know, how good Makachev actually was. Um, it's obvious now that Makachev can take a punch, and it's apparent that Makachev's takedown defense is better than what I thought it was. You know, going into this fight, I didn't expect it to be, you know, such a such a wrestling-heavy uh, display by Volkanovsky. I will say though, you know, however, however you look at the fight, you have to you have to respect the fact that Alexander Volkanovsky took 
the best lightweight since Khabib Nurmagomedov into waters that he had never seen before. And that's something that, that I don't think people are giving Volkanovski the credit for is, you know, he didn't just he didn't just try to knock him out. He didn't try to just, you know, go for, uh, go for you know, pot- potential submissions, even though he really didn't have one. He actually tried to, you know, beat Islam in his own game, and it nearly, and it nearly worked for him. I will say uh, the the fight was a good fight, lived up to all expectations. I did have Islam winning the fight, but if you were to tell me that 49-46 is the right scorecard, and you just simply don't know MMA, that was a that was a that was a straight chess match where you didn't know how the fight was going to go. You know they went back and forth. You know, oh, I had it. You know, Islam one two four, and I had Volkanovski winning three and five. The fifth round clearly went to Volkanovski. I mean, if you look at the final 30 seconds of that fight, you know, he had him in a position where if he had, you know, another minute to go or so, he might have gotten Islam out of there and and won the fight, you know, nearly at the buzzer, so to speak. And obviously that didn't happen. But I do think it's one of the most high-level lightweight championship fights we've seen in a long time. I, I would say this is arguably the highest-level lightweight title fight that we've ever seen in UFC history. <laughs> And I think it will be hard to top it um, going forward. I will say this, though. Volkanovski's stock did not go down. I totally understand why people still think he's pound-for-pound number one. Um, I still do, too, even though he did lose to the lightweight champion of the world. I do think that Volkanovski's resume is much better than Islam's, and there's no way that this rematch does not happen again at some point down the line. Uh, Zan, I think you and I are on some... You know, weird telepathy because I also had a 48 to 47 Makachev. And I also had one, two, and four for Makachev versus three and five for Volkanovsky. Honestly, Zan, the main event when it came to our predictions was the only thing that we disagreed on. Now, granted, that meant we went like seven, five, and one on a night. It was an absolutely terrible, terrible showing on our predictions, then. Yeah, as, as was probably 90% of the MMA community, I would. As too, I think I think I think a lot of us were not doing well prediction wise. I mean, to start to start Owen four on the prelims was pretty disappointing in my opinion. So, oh, it's I was I was ready to scream. I was ready to scream like this is disastrous. It was started like Owen four one four something like that. Um, but yeah, I thought Volkanovski like as the fight was going on, I thought Volkanovski was a little crazy for trying to go grapple for grapple, wrestle for wrestle with uh, Makachev. But he proved, uh, Zan, as you kind of mentioned, that he really could hold his own when he was, you know, in the clinch multiple times with Makachev as he battled on the ground with Makachev. Uh, and Islam, as you mentioned, he could really take a punch, although, although he kind of found himself in trouble late in the fight, as you mentioned. Kind of funny, Zan. Uh, I was talking to one of my students today, and they mentioned that, that they felt like if there were 20 to 30 more seconds on the clock, that Volkanovski would have knocked out Makachev. And we'd be talking about a much different story than we are here. Um, looking at I, my I, 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 I have to ask you this question. I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm just curious. With how, how many twists and turns that fight had, how stressed were you recapping that fight on Saturday? Oh my God! I, I didn't know what direction to turn because I I was doing a pros reactor that fight, and I'm like, oh man, in which way am I going to? In which way am I going to? You know, 
have to write this story. And it's like, okay, I got to be on my toes because this direction, you know, this fight could fall in either direction. I mean, personally speaking, looking at my recaps in, uh, round one, I felt like Makachev, you know, did more in the opening round. I know that some people are looking at round two and saying, well, Volk got some good shots in that maybe Volkanovsky said, oh, striking was able, he was able to, you know, get the round. I kind of disagree. I thought Makachev's grappling was strong in round one. I thought it was strong in round two. And Zan, Makachev made Volkanovsky eat a couple of shots on, a, on his own late in that second round. I yeah, I mean, I, I also think that if it wasn't for Makachev's late takedown, Volk would have won round one. There is that, there is that too. But I thought Makachev got the, had the effect of grappling. So I gave him round one, gave him round two. Volkanovsky, you know, Makachev's grappling was good to start with round three, but Volkanovsky at that point kind of had a game plan and was able to work around it so much that, you know, he had some good strike. And Zan, as you mentioned, that's a good grappling of his own. So I get the third to Volk. And then the fourth and fifth were very clear. The fourth I gave to Makachev. I know Volkanovsky had that little moment where, you know, um, Makachev uh, had him like at the backpack position on the ground, but and he's like sticking his tongue and everything and striking him with elbows. I thought Makachev, however, just you know he he wasn't able to get around the effective. I thought his Makachev's effective grappling was greater than Volkanovski striking in round four. So I gave Makachev round four, and as you mentioned, Volkanovski, I mean, teed away at Vol- at uh, Makachev in round five. So. I had to give it to that. Not enough for a 10-8, though. So that was that was my logic to to everything. Do you do you agree with me when I say that 49-46 is just simply not the right scorecard? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe if you want to say round three, you would give it to Makachev. But like I said, I think Volkanovski had more effective activity in that round that you had to give it to him. Could you argue do – you, do you – do you understand the Volkanovsky side where the Volk where the Volk crowd thinks, hey, our guy, our guy won the fight? Zan, let me use this uh let me use this expression because I mentioned it in the uh, MMA Outsiders Moment of Mayhem this past weekend, post UFC two eighty four. We throw the word robbery around in the MMA sphere a lot. And that was that was not a robbery. Let's just let's just put absolutely it out there. A- anyone who is saying that that fight was a robbery needs to. I don't know. Is there some sort of MMA school that they can go to because they or an MMA judging course because that was not a robbery? I would have understood forty eight forty seven either way. Uh, not to shoot my own horn or an MMA graduate graduate school master class. <laughs> taught by taught by taught by yours truly. <laughs> I would I would gladly attend one of your courses, Dan. No, I think I would I think I would uh I think I would preach to the choir what the what what the phrase MMA robbery actually means versus what people are claiming it is in this fight because in no way no how was it was it robbery. Hey Tom, I don't know about you, but here's a news flash for you. I would have been totally okay with the majority draw. I really, I really would have. I probably would have too. I mean, Zen, if you want to see what a robbery looks like, um, 
what is it? Uh, Elvis, Elvis Brenner versus Zabira Tukov, the opening uh, prelim fight on the early prelims. Now that terrible, is a robbery. terrible. Okay, so what? Okay, so what was worse, the Elvis Brenner fight last week or the Bellator debacle uh, a week prior? Uh, probably the Bellator debacle, considering Darian Caldwell was a former Bellator champion, and there he is on the prelims, getting absolutely robbed. Yeah, I would say the biggest argument. Um, oh. Here's an example of a robbery. Leota Machida versus Shogun, who went number one. It's a classic one because how do, how does, uh, you know, it goes back to that question, you know, 14 years later, how does, how do effective leg kicks not win you, not win you around? If, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, w- watch the fight if you haven't, because Shogun brutalizes Machida's legs <laughs> the entire 25 minutes to the point where it was amazing that Leoto could even stand when the fight was over. <laughs> uh, Zen, I got one for you. Okay. How about last December? Patty the Bunny. Yeah, but that wasn't a championship fight. See, the example I used was... Okay. A- I, I'm, not calling it, I'm not calling it the greatest robbery of all time, but I think that's another classic example of robbery. Oh, another one that I was live and in person for was Evan Dunham versus Sean Shirk. To this day, I have no idea how Evan Dunham lost that fight to this, to this day. Wait, Zan, you say to this day? Yes. You say to this day? This day. To this day. To this day. To this day. Thank you, Deontay. Absolutely. But yeah, I was there. And and I still can't believe it. All these years later, that that Sean Shirk beat Evan Dunham. It's it's amazing. Here's another here's another classic for you. UFC 114 and Tony Rogerio Nogueira versus Jason Brills. <laughs> that one was horrendously bad. Jason uh, Brills. Had no, sorry, go go ahead. Would you put Jones Gus one or GSP Hendricks in that category? I'd say GSP Hendricks was worse. You could, I, justify, I you could justify Jones Gustafson as a win for Jones just because if he doesn't land the spinning elbow, then he probably loses the fight. So yeah. So actually, what's funny is Zan when I originally watched Jones Gus one in 2013. I thought it was a robbery, but rewatching it years later, I kind of said, you know what? I, I can understand why Jones won that fight. GSP versus Hendricks. Zan, GSP, I thought it was bad then, and Zan, to this day. To this day! To this day! To this day! I still don't understand it. Okay, so my, my question is this Did Hendricks win three, four, five in that fight, in your, in your opinion? I'd have to watch it one more time, but yeah, I think so. I mean, some could argue that he won the first round too. So yeah, and then uh, and then the classic Nate Diaz versus Carlos Condit decision. Some might what even you... say, Stan, some might even say the Robbie Lawler Carlos Condit decision. By the way, I, I scored that fight for Condit. Just oh, just so you know, I ha- I actually have to now that you mentioned that. Now that I mentioned that fight out loud, Zen, Raw, Lola versus Condit, I got to have a look at that one again. 
Yeah, it, it, by the way, it's one of the most uh, underrated title fights in MMA. Oh, history. it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, there's there's that one. Oh, oh, and then, of course, who could forget uh, Diego, who could forget Ross Pearson versus Diego, Diego Sanchez. Sanchez. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, and then another one that was another one that was mind-bogglingly bad that had me going that that had me uh that had me in shambles a little bit um was uh this is this is an old one um let's see oh Melvin Gillard versus Jamie Varner that one was really that one was really weird um because Dana White uh believed that uh <laughs> that um. Thirty twenty seven was just downright the wrong score for either fighter, and that it had to be twenty nine twenty eight. What whatever way you looked at it, one more robbery that sticks out in my mind that had me really really disgusted. We'd have to go back about nine or ten years ago when the UFC flyweight division had their tournament, and you had Demetrius Johnson versus Ian McCall. And I, I thought for sure Ian McCall beat Demetrius Johnson back then. And, it and they cleared it a draw and had to do it again. Yep. Yep. Because uh, did you score the initial draw for Ian McCall? Because I I did. I I, I thought Ian McCall beat Mighty Mouse in 2012. What did you think? Which, Zan, by the way, is so funny because Ian, uh, Demetrius Johnson was, you know, fortunate enough to get that first fight, you know, McCall. Uh, many believe that McCall had won the fight. I believe I did too. And then he wins the rematch, and then he meets uh, Jojo Benavidez in the championship final UFC wanted to do, and you know, when uh, Demetrius Johnson was announced as the winner, people booed. And yet Demetrius Johnson goes on to be the GOAT at flyweight. Yeah, well, I can tell you this. Ian, even if Ian McCall didn't win that night, the, when the the first time they fought when it was a draw, I can tell you that the rematch would have gone a lot differently. So really, if you think about it, the if you really think about it, the second fight cancels the first eight out. Do you agree? Do you agree with that? Uh, I don't know if I can write, rightfully say cancels the fight out, but it definitely says something. It definitely says that, as I kind of implied, that in the long run, you know, even though those decisions were bad, I think it was better for the betterment of the flyweight division and betterment of the sport that we were blessed oh, oh. with the title reign of Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. And then, of course, uh, the really bad Rory McDonald decision in PFL a few years ago. Oh, my God. Zan, I remember going nuts over that fight. I think I called it, I think, the robbery of the year that year. Oh, it's one of the worst decisions I've ever seen in my entire life. You know, you know it's bad when not only do... Not only do the celebrity panel judges have the fight scored for Rory McDonald, but you already know it's bad when all of MMA Twitter, every single person that I saw on Twitter that night had the fight scored for Rory McDonald. Not a single person had it for Ray Cooper. And and, uh, Zen, I, I was wondering, okay, let me check under the table. Let me see what's being passed around. Well, and that really didn't even matter either because Ray Cooper went on to be Ray Cooper, right? Yeah. And it was the beginning and the end of uh, Ray McDonald's career. Well, we well, we digress. Hey, this was the, our overall point in, in doing this little segment. This was not a robbery. Was not to say all. that this was not a robbery at all. 
But all of the fights that we did just mention could very well be described in that definition. So for you guys who have no idea what we just talked about, do your do your own research, come up with your own list. Those are just a couple of options that can get you started um, as you look through MMA robbery history, if that's even really a thing. But there you, there, there you go. So Islam Makhachev... Well, if it wasn't, is, it is now. True. So now Islam Makhachev remains the UFC lightweight champion. So, Tom, I have to ask you this question, getting back to the fight here. Who is Islam Makhachev's next order of business, in your opinion? So, I understand what you were talking about before about a rematch, and that would be kind of amazing to do number one versus number two again. I mean, the first fight, as we just talked about, lived up to its hype. By the way, I, you know, I like Ariel. Helwani, that is. Big respect to him. I have no idea why he has Leon Edwards ahead of Islam Makachev in his pound for pound, his own personal pound for pound rankings. That makes zero sense at all. You, you you mean you mean to tell me that you mean to tell me that Makachev not be, uh, beating Oliveira and Volkanovski, two of the best male fighters in the whole sport, you, who could you you could argue they're both like top four, and you, you mean to, you mean to tell me that that, that those two wins outweigh uh, a late fifth round finish against Kamaru Usman? I which, would I have, which would have ended in a loss if the fight had gone another minute. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't understand that one. Um, as far as Makachev goes, Zan, I mean, personally speaking, I would love to see, you know, now that Makachev is on top, bested Oliveira, bested um, Volkanovsky, we have some fresh matchups. I would love to see him to take on Poirier or to take on the winner of Gaethje versus Fiziev, maybe even the winner of, I believe it's going to be Oliveira versus Dariush in May, correct? Yeah, yeah, Oliver versus Dariush per our friend uh, Shaquille. So yeah, for our friend Jack at UFC 288. But Zan, I I hate to ask this. You know, I hate to counter a question with a question. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you getting the bad feeling that they're gonna? I know where I know I know where you're going with this. I already know where you're going with this. Michael <laughs> Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> I already know what you're going with this. Oh jeez. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> it would be it would be such a typical UFC move. Oh my <laughs> Oh my goodness. But no, I I Zan, I personally think it's gonna You would hope you would hope not, right? <laughs> you would, you hope would not. But also Zan, you would also hope not considering you know it just came right. Wait a minute. We're not going to see that fight till August at the earliest, maybe October in the latest. We're not going to wait. Have Makachev wait that long? I, no. I could. See, I, I see. I see them either giving it to the winner of. Uh, I could see it given to the winner of Gagey versus Fiziev, or I could see Dustin Poirier slipping in there if they want. If they want to get. Makachev into the octagon, back into the octagon sooner without a rematch. What if, okay, well, well, I think, Tom, this is just a prediction, and by the way, I have no sources to verify this or anything. I think it would make a lot of sense to do Islam as the main event IFW in July. That's what, that's what, that's what I think. I like that. I I like that. If you want to do July, like I mentioned, sooner, sooner than later to get him back in the octagon, have International Fight Week be uh, 
Makachev versus Dustin Poirier. But could you imagine if instead of them doing International Fight Week in Vegas, they do International Fight Week for the first time ever in Abu Dhabi? Dhabi. Oh my goodness. No, it can't. The Hall of Fame slated for Vegas. They're not going to have International Fight Week in two different places. Although you probably just gave the UFC an interesting idea. Tom, it's the UFC. They can do whatever they please. <laughs> what is this, WrestleMania 2? We're going to have it in three different locations? No, I'm saying that they're going to they're just going to do one international fight week and that's that's where it's going to be. But you you could you could be right. By the way, I got some interesting news. It's not confirmed yet. Uh so don't be so don't be going we'll be putting this out on the interwebs, but Dana White is very interested in doing a Super Bowl weekend card next year in Vegas, the same weekend as the Super Bowl. I mean, makes perfect sense. The Raiders Stadium is going to be hosting the Super Bowl next year. And Zen, mm-hmm. we always used to have some sort of Super Bowl weekend card. And now that, you know, the Super Bowl week, and now the Super Bowl weekend is the second weekend in February because of the 18 game schedule that the NFL, you know, it's in its second, that just had its second 18 game season. I think it makes perfect sense to have a pay-per-view a week of the night, you know, before Super Bowl. I think it's perfect. I love it. And it would be a, it would be a blast from the past to the mid two thousands. They used to do those cards all the time uh, mm-hmm. during Super Bowl week, which would make a ton of sense. Um, yeah. So um, outside of that, on UFC two eighty four, I wanted to ask you um, in the in in the first fight on the pay per view, we had Jimmy Crute taking on Alonzo Menafield. Uh, I had Jimmy Crute winning the fight. How did you? How did you have it? Zan, I had it as a draw. I think Menafield could have gotten it. I think he cost himself. No other way to put it. The fence grab was brutal. And and Zan, you know, we talk about referees and bad refereeing and judges and bad judges all the time. I gotta give my credit to Mark Goddard. He saw the fence grab, saw how blatant it was that it cost Jimmy Crudeau a takedown, and he took a point right away. I, I got to get my props to Goddard. Yeah, I mean, Mark Goddard's a world-class referee, and he – I mean, Tom, I don't know about you. You watch the UFC every weekend like I do. Have you ever seen Mark Goddard make a blatant mistake? Because I because – I, I mean, he, he seems to always be like as, as, as a pro's pro can be. What do you, what do you think? I agree. I think he's one of the best in the sport. I think the stuff he did with MMA on point a couple of years ago was great. I think the only time I was critical, Zan, I was critical of Mark Goddard, of, well, let me put in quote, Mark Goddard during uh, Chandler's debut. I hope you know where I'm going with this, where they had incorrectly. I do. I remember. I remember this. That they incorrectly identified Mark Goddard as the referee for that fight. It was not Mark Goddard. I do remember. For that, I honestly couldn't even tell you who the referee was for the, that fight. Do you? Do you remember? I want to double check, but I I could have sworn the Chandler versus Hooker fight. I could have sworn it was Herzog. Oh no! Oh no! Maybe it was Goddard. I, it wasn't. It was a situation where the UFC identified the person incorrectly. Like like on that, they might have named it Mark Goddard, but like the nameplate was incorrect. I forget it was. Herzog on one, and then Goddard was the nameplate, or vice versa. But they screwed something up. Interesting. We well, yeah, I scored up for Crew. Very close fight. Could have gone either way. Did not agree with the draw. I felt like you needed. I felt like you needed a winner. In the, 
at fight. I actually scored it 29-27 for Jimmy Crute. That's how I scored the fight. I thought Crute was a little too takedown heavy. I thought Metafield's offense was a little better. I would not mind, Zan, these two doing a rematch. As a headliner for a UFC fight night card? Uh... A small one like we've got coming up this weekend? Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of, uh, I know this is off topic, but um, but uh, j- just I had to briefly mention, speaking of UFC Fight Night, April 15th for Holloway versus, um, versus Allen is going to be in Kansas City. They have not been to Kansas City in a very long time. And that is, uh, th- that's going to be a very interesting location. And something that I'm interested in because that's only a couple of hours away from me. Yeah, I don't I know if I, I don't I don't know if I'm going to be there yet. That would be a very very exciting card to go to though. So when I, when I when I saw that, I got a little bit I got a little bit excited. And Zan, you know I'm happy any time that they are able to get out of the apex for a fight night. Of course, well, throwing a fight like that in Kansas City doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. But hey. Those people who've been craving a UFC event, I don't know how many people. Oh, what a treat they get, Holloway versus Allen. I mean, oh my goodness, assuming that that fight stays together, knock on wood. But, but, uh, yeah, I I, I have to say this. Um, In my opinion, I think Randy Brown losing to Jack Della is the sign that maybe, just maybe, Randy Brown's UFC run is slowly but surely coming to an end. What What do you think? I'm looking less of it on that end than Zan. I'm looking more of it on the Jack Dylan Madalena end. I mean, JDM Zan has, you know, the UFC has been pushing him. And for him to get a big of a first round win in just over two minutes like that over Randy Brown in front of, you know, in front of his home country, unbelievable. For sure. Um, that's the most impressive I've seen. Uh, JDM in his UFC career. How about you? Uh for sure. I'm trying to I was gonna say I'm trying to pull up his uh trying to pull up his history. He's only 26 years old, and this is his four fights, and he's got four finishes. Pete Rodriguez, Ramazan Amiv, Danny Roberts, and Randy Brown. I thought Randy Brown was his toughest test in, and he easily wiped the floor with him in two minutes. I think. I'm um, not going to say ranked fighter next, but I'm going to say I think step up a little bit in competition next. To me, Amiv was his most impressive win until this fight. Oh, for sure. For sure. Like I said, I don't know about if you give a ranked fighter next, but a notable unranked fighter? Yeah, I think he's ready for that step up. Awesome. So let's go through to the first fight of the night. It had a brutal... Uh, Taste in everybody's mouth when it was over. Uh, um, let's go through it because I thought that uh, that our guy, uh, Mr. Brunner, uh, was uh, got a little bit uh, screw jobbed in uh, in my opinion. Oh yeah, uh, as you mentioned, Zan, uh, really bad. I, as we talked about on the uh, thing, I, I the opening, well, really opening two fights, but the opening fights just horrible. Elvis Brenner defeating Zubair Dukov. Split decision 29-28 one way, 28-29 the other way, and then the 30-27. I hate that. That always irks me, Zan, when it's like 29-20, because you could always maybe see it one way when it's 29-28 across the board. Where the hell 
was the 30-27 for Elvis Brenner. I didn't see it. Uh, yeah, I mean, whoever that judge is is either not judged a huge fight before, which I could be wrong. So if you, if you uh, have the means to back it up and correct me, please do. But that was a brutal decision. I'm actually now curious, Dan. Like you said, I'm going to go look up the official scorecards. Oh, thanks, MMA Junkie. You're really good on this one. All right. Elvis Brenner versus Zabara. So, 29-28 for Brenner from Derek Cleary. Uh, 29-28 Tukov from Barry Foley. 30-27 Brenner from uh, Evan Field. I think Evan Field's scorecard is the right one. What do you think? Is the right one the 30-27? Yeah, for Brenner, right? Is that how you had it? For Brenner. For Brenner. Yeah, that's how I that's how I scored that. Oh, I'm kidding. Oh my god. Oh my god, what am I what am I doing? What am I doing? I gotta say this. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? Are you kidding? By the way, though, by the way, though, it does it does kind of make sense if you think about it, though, that they gave it to him, considering that they were in Australia, so they wanted to make sure yeah, that uh, you never, you never, you never. Oh, by the way, though, in all seriousness, <laughs> I was, I was kidding, but if I was, if I was a judge and I didn't want Jukov to win, I probably, I probably would have had that same scorecard too. But his integrity. He should be called into question was my real point. All I can say, Zan, is Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> I had to. Aye, aye, aye. Uh, speaking of Aussie, 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 Justin Taffa. So I knew Taffa versus Porter was not going to go the distance. And Zan, this one on the predictions I'm hitting myself because I said there was no way that Parker Porter was, you know, getting a knockout win. But I switched my mind and I changed it to Parker Porter winning because I said, well, he's got more UFC experience than Justin Taffa. I know Taffa's brother has been a glory kickboxing heavyweight. And then Taffa goes and pretty much one punch KOs Porter. It was, uh, Zan, I mean, let's face it, classic low level heavyweight kind of fight where these two are just going to swing to the fences until one person gets exhausted or one person gets blasted and just collapses. Yeah, that that, that makes sense. Um, what do you, I mean, what, what do you think is next for Parker Porter in your opinion? How many fights are left on his UFC contract? Probably not many would be, would be my guess. Yeah. I, this could be the end, or maybe he gets one more fight, and really, that's it. You and So, you would give him, you know, maybe a guy making his debut? Does that make sense? Yeah, that does kind of make sense. I think, Zan, this had the potential to be loser leaves town, honestly. Really? You think, you think so? Uh, well, like I said, you know, maybe not loser leaves town, but now whoever lost this fight, in this case, Porter, probably going to be fighting for his job in his next fight. Fighting for his UFC. So, so I'm curious, in your opinion, then, 
Um, so would the UFC entertain, you know, a UFC fight night position for him, for example? Probably as the opener or as a prelim, yeah. Main card opener, that is. That that works for me. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see what the UFC does, but um, who knows? Maybe they like him and maybe they want to keep him around because, you know, maybe they think he's a fan favorite. But uh, I digress. I give UFC 284 a B-plus because of how good the main card was. The only yeah, thing uh, were the prelims and the lack of yeah. excitement. Yeah, prelims were eh, but the main card was very exciting. Zan, one other fight we didn't talk about yet that we got to get to now. Co-main event, Yair Rodriguez pulling off a submission of Josh Emmett to claim the inner featherweight title. And Zan, I honestly thought Emmett was going to have this. I thought the inconsistency of Yair's fighting was going to hurt him against a killer like <clears throat> Emmett. But wow, did Yair deliver. And he got the submission. He got the submission of Emmett, got a solid choke, forced him to tap. And now Zan, and like I mentioned, I want to see Islam stay with lightweights and have look at the fresher matchups because... I cannot wait to see an Alexander Volkanovsky Yair Rodriguez featherweight title unification bout. Oh, I mean, it's long overdue. It's long overdue. It's a fight that's needed to happen for a long time. Um, and it's a fight that stylistically I think is a bad matchup for Volkanovsky, but a fight where I think he can avoid Rodriguez's submission attempts and try to keep it on the feet. Um, no matter what happens in this fight, there will be a finish. And it's a fight that I'm very much looking forward to. That's also a potential international fight week main event that you could potentially see either in July or maybe even the or maybe even as part of the June card, which I'm hoping is in Chicago. That would be unbelievable if Rodriguez fought in Chicago, considering that he does have some ties to Chicago. And so that would that would make a whole a sense. I would be I would be dreaming of. I was able to see that fight live. That would be that would be, that would be unbelievable. Volk has said he's wanted to fight. He wants to fight four times this year. So kind of makes sense. What did you think of Rodriguez's performance in general on that night against Emmett? Looked good. What did you What did you think? I thought he looked unbelievable. I can't believe how I don't want to say dominant because it wasn't a one sided fight, but I can't believe you know how good he looked. He really delivered Yair. Yeah, I just feel bad for Emmett just considering that he had worked so hard to get to that, you know, number one contender status and feel like it was ripped away from him, you know, so many times and it just didn't work out. He's going to go back to the drawing board. He's still one of the best featherweights in the world. Would highly entertain a Calvin Cater um, run back that would make a ton of sense to me. I don't know. I don't know about you. Is that fight has a lot of controversy just in the way that that decision was read. Uh, but I think there's a lot of fights out there for Emmett. What do you think? Same. You know, and uh, let's be fair. Emmett, you know, had his highlights. Dropped Rodriguez in the first. Took advantage and scrambled on to uh, Yair when he missed the flying knee in the second round. He lo- it looked great for him. And then Yair just had excellent ground game. And as we said, kind of implied, uh, implied uh, earlier and implied in our promo for this episode. Caught him in the triangle choke. It was a beautiful setup by ear. So for Emmett, you know, maybe this was his one and only chance at UFC gold. 
but he's got to find a way to get back so that way it's not. And I think Zan, as you kind of said, uh, an Emmett rematch with Calvin Cater and how close and how controversial that fight was. I I, th- I think that's perfect. Yeah, agreed. Agreed 100%. And, um, you know, I'd say Rodriguez is just someone that I feel like has been disrespected for a long time. And uh, I think now if he fights Volk and he fights him well, he's going to get the respect he deserves. And it should be a very entertaining uh, featherweight title fight. And, you know, finally we get a fresh matchup, you know, in a 145 division that's seen a, you know, that's seen a round robin of sorts for Volk and Holloway fight each other, you know, when Ortega was in the mix. And now you're getting some different matchups. You know, obviously with Rodriguez now being the number one contender and a chance to, well, not just the number one contender, but the interim champ and a chance to unify the belts. Uh, it, it, it couldn't be a better time for 145, in my opinion. Uh, the only other notable performance, Dan, I mean, on the prelims, he had Clayton Rodriguez beating Shannon Ross in like 59 seconds, but I think his weightness kind of deterred that a little bit. Um, Joshua Klubau, however, <laughs> I think Zan, beautiful rear naked choke win over Nelson by, uh, by Desarian. Klubau seriously had an amazing performance where he took a lot and he was able to get all around that and come back with the submission in the second. Yeah, I think that guy is primed for a massive 2023. How about you? I would like to see that. Um... Staying with UFC 284 for a bit, Zan, but getting on to the news side of things, you know, we don't really have too many news. Uh, Let's go back to the main event because we had quite the accusation this week from Dan Hooker, who is accusing Islam Makachev of using an IV to rehydrate. Uh, So I'm going to go quickly find Zan. To look at Dan Hooker's Twitter so that way we can get uh, his exact tweets word for word. Okay, so uh, he first ret- retweeted the um, tweet from Volkanovsky that said, just watched the fight and Volk want- thought he won two, three, and five. Again, that round three coming into play and even round two. But then Dan Hooker, a little while later, tweets, dumb four-letter C-word, thinks he can fly to Australia, hire a nurse to give him an IV, and we won't find out. Cheating dog. The next tweet he writes is USADA doing F-word all with a Google search that he, you know, screenshotted. It says, UFC, how long is the suspension for IV use? The next one he writes, prove me wrong, bet you can't. Next one he writes, he doesn't cheat, he doesn't win. And then in the final tweet, he fully names him, says, Islam is a cheat. Yeah, I mean, those are some pretty crazy accusations. But the thing that doesn't sit with me is where is the proof that Hooker has that this really happened? If He can't prove that Makachev had an IV prior to the fight um, to basically um, – gain a competitive advantage, then he shouldn't be tweeting things that he doesn't actually know himself and just going off a happenstance and older news. What do you what do you think? Uh 
like you said, it's kind of tough when we don't really have the accusations. Although, see, I'm yeah, see, that's what. Yeah, see, that's what that's what I'm saying. What's the point of making claims when it seems like, unless he hasn't publicly shared it, where is the proof? You know, what, you know what I mean. Uh, but it's actually kind of interesting, Zan. Just going through the MMA news cycle, Volkanovski uh, appeared on Helwani's show the other day and said, "Quote: You fill up pretty quick on the IVs and stuff like that. Maybe that's a little shot at them. You hear whispers, but anyway." So a little, a little dig there at Makachev over the IVs. I will say, Zan, during the weigh-in, when I saw how Makachev looked at the weigh-in, I was a little concerned. He looked a little drained there uh, at 155 pounds, and he needed, I believe, what MMA fighting calls the uh, box of shame just to make the 155-pound limit. Uh, I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying, you know, here or there if that required the IV usage but he I mean the weight cut didn't seem to affect him all too much when it came to the actual fight no it didn't not at all but for him to make that accusation I think is pretty wild um, considering how Islam looked if it does come out that Islam were to have used an IV do you think the UFC would do or should do anything I would suspend him, but I wouldn't strip him of the belt or anything. I've I, don't, used I, don't, to... I don't think it's worthy of a strip. First of all, sorry, Sam. First of all, I was just going to say, you know, for those of you out there, Ivy usage used to be perfectly okay with the UFC, but they have been banned since the mid 2010s. Was it 15 or 16? That they banned IVs. That I would say about twenty sixteen, maybe seventeen. So after a fight like that, I don't know if they would necessarily strip Makachev of the championship, as you said. But you know, definitely at least some sort of suspension. I could see if there were if there was IV usage, I could see Islam being suspended and them. Um, having to do another interim lightweight championship fight, unfortunately. But hey, who wouldn't be down to see that, right? I mean, you could easily... Dan, you kind of implied it a couple of weeks ago uh, that Oleg Dariush could be an interesting interim championship fight. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking like a genius right now, am I, am I not? <laughs> Although, Zan, you know where I'm going with this. I do. You know what the UFC would look at as a potential interim uh, championship fight? Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler. <laughs> Surprise! Because who doesn't want a random championship belt attached to a Conor McGregor fight that doesn't make any sense? Only I, Dana White. <laughs> I mean, Zen, I'm not too far off from this sport where, you know, we're going to have. You know, the WBC, you know, we got the, uh, not WBC, but we got the WBA silver championships and we got the gold championships and WBC has the franchise championship and it's got the, uh, what else? You know, it, it's not going to be too much longer, Zan, that we're going to have the WBA intercontinental golden whatever division championship. 
or the uh, or the or the or the or the uh, or the prime hydration light heavyweight champion. <laughs> oh, God, that's what Logan Paul would declare himself. Yeah. Uh, Zan, the other uh, the other thing to mention from the past UFC, Jens Pulver is joining Jose Aldo in the UFC Hall of Fame class of 2023. I thought, Zan, uh, how they showed him, because he, he always is on Twitch. He'll Twitch the, uh, you know, UFC broadcast. He'll do his own style of commentary. And they showed his reaction, you know, as the video, the tribute video was playing to announce his Hall of Fame induction. That was beautiful. Honestly. It sure was. Um, you know, it's one of those things that he'll never forget, and uh, it's long overdue. I think, Zan, they've got a solid one-two punch for the uh, Hall of Fame class. You got Jose Aldo, featherweight goat, one of the best that this sport has ever seen, and is still going strong now, winning his uh, a boxing match uh, this past weekend. And then you got Jens Pulver, who one of the guys who helped to innovate this, uh, the lighter weight classes of this sport. The first lightweight, when it was known, Zan, as bantamweight champion in the history of the UFC. And we actually kind of alluded to this, Zan, when the talk about the Francis Ngannou news. But one of a few fighters who, back in the dark ages, left UFC better better uh, offers and test himself in better waters. It's a good it's a good point. Um I mean it's just it's one of those things where MMA free agency is kind of weird and you don't know what's gonna happen and um I mean I mean that's one of those things that's gonna be a story to follow. What do you what do you think? Uh yeah. And I would have liked to have seen Zen I mean, we're talking all about this Francis Ngannou free agency contract. I would have loved to have seen, you know, Jens Pulver as the lightweight champion uh, in the kind of free agency that we've got today. You know, like back then there was the UFC in Pride and such. But considering what Pulver would have been now with UFC and Bellator and PFL and one and all the offers that could have come his way if he were fighting today and was a lightweight champion today. Okay, this leads me to my next question, and it's a question that I hope you were anticipating because I have to ask it, okay? Considering okay. considering with the era that Jens Pulver fought in the UFC in, the late SEG, early Zupa days, does this mean that there's a light at the end of the tunnel that one day, somehow, some way, Frank Shamrock and the UFC reconcile when they finally put Frank Shamrock in the UFC Hall of Fame? I would love to say yes, Sam. I would love to say yes. But until I see and hear that there has been some sort of conversation between he and Dana White, we're probably never going to see that. I think so, too. Who do you think is more frustrated in that whole beat, Dana White or Frank Shamrock? Probably Frank Shamrock. I mean, Dana White, Sam, has always come off to me as the guy who just, you know, whatever. Show goes on. I mean, look at Francis Ngannou. He has now left the UFC, and show goes on. In, th- in a few weeks' time, Zan, we're going to be talking about the return of John Bones Jones and the potential for him to capture the heavyweight championship. Yeah, that's a very good point. And speaking of UFC 285 and the heavyweight championship, um, the UFC released its early look promo for UFC 285 on the pay-per-view broadcast. 
Tom, what were your initial impressions of the UFC's uh, production level, and did the did the promo get you more excited for the fight itself? I mean, I'm already excited for the fight itself. The promo definitely helped with that, and I think it addressed the. I think it really has painted John Jones in the kind of light that he could or should, depending on the person that you talk to, be in. I mean, as I mentioned, this is going to be the first time we see him in three years. He was, you know, one year off GSP territory, where it took us four years to see GSP. And now here we are, we're going to see the legend of the sport have a really huge opportunity, because then if he becomes the heavyweight champion, there is a realistic, I mean, it's already realistic now, but there's an ultra-realistic argument that you could make that he tops somebody like a GSP on the GOAT list. Yeah, I personally, I personally don't think there is a debate if Jones wins this fight, and he's clearly the best fighter that we've ever seen. I think it's between he and, um, I think it's between he and George St. Pierre, and uh, no disrespect to Khabib, but he will never be in my GOAT conversation, considering that he only fought the better part of his competition later in his career, and with him retiring before 30-0, and and him not proving himself against Tony Ferguson, who was the second-best lightweight in the world for several years, Khabib can't be the GOAT, in my opinion. I don't care if he won 29 fights or 50 fights. He, he didn't fight the level of competition that makes him GOAT-level status. Whereas if you look at John Jones, he fought the likes of Ryan Bader and Stephen Bonner and Shogun Hua and Quentin Rampage Jackson and Vitor Belfort and Leota Machida, just legend after legend after legend, guys that have paved the way, paved the way. Khabib did not do that. He didn't fight the big names until Conor McGregor. And I don't mean to disrespect him either, but if it wasn't for the Conor McGregor fight, I don't think Khabib would be as big as he is. I re- I really, I really don't. I, I, I consider Khabib three, four, five. I consider him the top, but he's not nowhere near John Jones or GSP. Well, here's my next 100%. question, Dan. Well, here's my next question, Dan, because we're talking about GOAT status, and you said no question. So you would say Jones's legal troubles don't hinder his GOAT status? Yeah, I'm just strictly looking at his body of work in the octagon. 100%. Right. 100%. If you look at I the think... names that he fought, I hang on a second. If you look at the names that he's fought, right, and you compare them to the names that George St. Pierre has fought and Anderson Silva has fought, no disrespect to any of the guys that they fought on the come up, but they're not the same level of competition that John Jones supremely dominated during his run at light heavyweight. You're talking multiple future champions in multiple back-to-back appearances. You don't see that today. You saw that with John Jones. And I think it's a fair argument, Dan. However, I think it is also fair if somebody doesn't want to rank Jones as the GOAT because of some of his off the out-of-the-octagon issues that we haven't really seen with GSP. Although... Oh, oh, 100, G- 100%. Although, although G- here does have the greasing controversy, though. That, there's, that is true. GSP also, Zan, though, is a, you know, regardless of how his uh, championship reigns ended, he is a two-division champion, which Jones is still chasing. You know, that Conor McGregor is a two-division champion. Again, for better or for worse, regardless of how the reign ended. Same with GSP. 
And Jones's greatest rival, Daniel Cormier. If he wants to be considered GOAT status, then he needs to beat Cyril Gunn come UFC 285 and capture that heavyweight title. I agree. As much as you do bring up the double champs that we've had, like from a consistent basis, no offense, mm-hmm. but they haven't legitimately done the up and down sort of thing. If oh, you think you're right. about it, they, they, have right not, they have not legitimately done the up and down sort of thing. Hell, Conor McGregor couldn't even defend either of his titles. He never defended two weeks. Yeah, it lasted all two weeks. Um, Zandy, only one that the that has done the up and down is Amanda Nunes, and and I don't know how serious you take that when it's when women's featherweight divisions. I don't take it seriously at all because there's nobody in the division for like the seventies week in a row. I, I love Jed Goodman's weekly post of the of the UFC rankings, and you see women's featherweight, and it's just nobody there. Yeah, so of course we're now going to move into the main event this weekend. For those of you guys who don't know, there is a UFC main event this weekend. It's UFC Vegas 69, Jessica Andrade versus Aaron Blanchfield. Tom, yes, I know you were bummed that we had to talk about this, but we have to talk about it. It is it is another UFC event after all. This is the only, a very high one. Go ahead, go sorry, ahead. The, only, the only fights that really interest me this weekend is this fight and Jim Miller versus uh, Alexander the Great. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't love watching Jim Miller fight, right? But, um, you know, this is one of those fights that, you know, just just screams Apex, in my opinion. Like, it just, <laughs> it just, it just literally screams it in capital letters. Like, it's almost, it's almost like a perfect backdrop for it. Like, it was, it was almost tailor-made. Um, anyway, I do think that Jessica Andrade does come out on top and, and beats Aaron Blanchfield by decision. I just, is think Andrade's experience is going to overwhelm Enchfield, and that's what's going to uh, dictate the difference in the fight. I second that opinion, Zan. I think it's a little bit of a coin flip. I like Aaron Blanchfield. I think Andrade is actually, you know, an interesting more main event than, say, Talia Santos, although I think Talia Santos should be fighting Valentina Shevchenko next instead of Alexa Grasso because Talia Santos, I think, was robbed in that first fight with Shevchenko. Um, but that's near here or there. Uh, I agree, Zan. I think experience wins out. It's a bit of more of a coin flip, but I think experience wins out. Plus, she also has the motivation of she's trying to get the rematch with Bailey Zang Zan at strawweight. And I think this is another opportunity for her to put in another strong performance. I agree. A draw by decision. Yeah, I mean, that should be an interesting fight. But uh, if this is a UFC event that you want to consider skipping out on because of other sports, it's a totally understandable thing. Um, it's not the strongest fight night card in the world, but um, it's one that I do think, you know, if you're a hardcore, you're definitely going to watch it. For sure. All right, Zan. That's going to do it for us here at the MMA Outsiders. Once again, make sure you bell so you get notified of everything. Every MMA Outsiders show, plus everything else here at the Empty the Bench Network. You can follow the show on social media at MMA Outsiders ETB, and you can follow the network at ETB Network. That's Zan. Find his work over at BJPen.com. Follow him on Twitter at, B- at uh, ZanBando99. On Tom Albano, you can find my work over at Fansided MMA, and you can follow me at Thomas J. Albano, Fork 9 And yeah, that is basically going to do it. So for ZanBando, I'm Tom Albano. We'll see you next week for another edition of the MMA Outsiders. Take care, everyone.
Take care, everyone. And remember, before we get out of here, as we always tell you every week, be Joe Pfeiffer. Joe Pfeiffer. Have a good one, everyone.